to that. We'll start now. But uh, yeah. Oh, and to answer your question, yeah, there's like a Canadian translator in case you're hard to understand for the listeners. <laughs> okay. It'll just it'll just subtitle on the bottom. Thanks. An, I mean, my manager. Podcast. My manager usually sends that um, ahead of time to make sure that <laughs> yeah. everybody has one. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you went ahead and did that on your own volition. That's smart of you. You're a smart Thanks. guy. I'm a I'm a professional podcaster. Can't you tell by this microphone, the sixty dollar <laughs> audio technica <laughs> microphone? Yeah, I like the combo of the air, um, the old school wired AirPods, and then the the Radio Shack <laughs> microphone. Really yeah. screams professionalism, and and I appreciate it. If somebody asks asks if I am uh, up to date with all the latest technology of 1998, I can say that I am closer than ever before. <laughs> We're inching away to 99 here. Uh, oh, for the listeners, uh, by way of introduction, today's guest is uh, Mastermind. Is that too too lofty of a word? The ringleader behind no Mastermind. Mastermind. Mastermind's okay. good. The mastermind behind the band Single Mothers and the Drew Thompson Foundation. Uh, and if you've read my book, Sell Out, you might recognize his words are literally the first words in the whole book. They begin the book, Rock and Roll's a Sacrifice. I stole that from you. Uh, he <laughs> well, wrote we, that. I, <laughs> Drew Thompson. Drew. Thank you very much. I mean, we paid you to put that in there, but yeah, I yeah. appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you uh, immortalizing those words on I, I on imagine... Page. You're just getting stopped on the street left and right about that. I honestly, I get, <laughs> I get a few, I get quite a few messages and every really? time I'm like, yeah, that's nice. That's great. Really? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I did. Especially when the book came out, a lot of people that never talked to me, sent me a message with a picture of that page going like, Hey, what? This is amazing. And I, I said, thanks. That's the oh. most attention I've gotten from you in a long time. So people that don't <laughs> like the band and don't really like me still thought it was cool. So well, that's cool. I hope I hope people go search it out. I I love that line. It's so simple, so cutting. As I told you, I got a I did get a message actually from a guy. I think I told you this. Who uh, messaged me and said that he was going to get that as a tattoo. Oh, and I right. was you like, well, that's that. cool. I yeah. really take no like. Can you get sellout in there? Can you like shove it? Yeah. Otherwise, it's a single mother's tattoo, and that's awesome. But yeah. if you're going to be telling me about it, maybe yeah. <laughs> make a sleeve of it. Have like the cover first and then the page with all like the details, the publishing details, and yeah. then that page. And then it's the table of contents. I think, or... <laughs> yeah. And then after that, I can legally sue the person because they've gone over their fair <laughs> use. <laughs> you I think you're the mastermind here. You yeah. Know. When I was actually doing a book, I, I it's very vague how much you can quote without uh like without still being like artistic license and i think okay. you can often i think you're safe under two lines of a song like you can quote two lines of a of a verse or whatever and then right. after that it's, uh, it's you, yeah uh so whenever there was something that was like three lines my editor would be like well you, you gotta cut this down a little bit or just yeah. mush it mush it i was like okay um just just putting the whole chorus into one line be like yeah that's a lot <laughs> but rock and roll yeah. is a sacrifice it's like what is that five words four words Too many yeah. cutting rock and rolls yeah thank you very much thank you i'm glad you appreciate that line um, i'm glad you appreciate the band i appreciate the band you you have a new album out and i i very wisely caught you as you're doing your like last minute scramble before the tour i just what were you doing just when i called Right. Yeah, I was just uh, well, I was just doing Jeremy Bohm's podcast, a good friend of mine, what? a good friend. What? Your neighbors. <laughs> My nemesis neighbor. Your nemesis. Oh, no. That's so funny um, that you were doing his podcast. I just want to say, because we were driving around the other day and I was talking about your new album, Roy. Yeah. And uh, shit talking could, or I, talking? No, no, talking it. I was like, have you heard it yet? And he said, no, we had I haven't. And I was like, well, there's parts of it that are, uh, well, I, a sad dumb game, I think I just, is, is just such a good, like one of your best songs. And then I was oh, like, and then there's parts of it that are really weird. Like there's a song about James Gandolfini and like, I feel like Drew really went off on this one and yeah. I could see the, see the light bulb go off in his head. Right. And now he's podcasting with you. And now I feel right. like I have to beat him 
beat him to the punch. Yeah, to get this out. That's God your damn IP. It, He's stealing. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. No, I want I everybody know. to fucking hear hear your voice and hear your music. Uh, so I'm glad you did he's a, that. He's, he's got a, a good podcast. Guy. Yeah, the one that I did uh, was like one of my favorite interviews that I had to that I did yeah. for, for the book. Um, but forget him. I want to ask you the good questions about Roy now because we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. And yeah. you said something that has like stuck with me ever since about your process, my favorite word. Um, but you have such an interesting approach to having a band, like more so than anyone I know, uh, because I feel like uh, your music and the sounds even that you use just vary so greatly from album to album. Uh, and you said right. something, you described it in a way that like just sort of unlocked the door for me. You said... Um, Every time you start a new album, it feels like opening a can of paint and just seeing what colors you have to work with. Right. And oh, I was yeah, like, I what a that. good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was such a good way because like you, you don't even know really like your, your lineup has changed drastically from album to album. Like obviously a lot of bands uh, have a, a set lineup or close to it. You've gone through something like 138 members right yeah <laughs> we've right. gone through like the population of a small ontario town yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah so how does uh, that work is... like how do you even when you're like okay i'm ready to do a new album how do you how do you round up the troops how do you like uh you know start putting together the record i mean it's 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 very organic it's always very organic um at least like our pleasure was more of a spite record so i had like Love the spite fire. record, by the way. Yeah, thanks. that was more <laughs> like, like the Larry David way to make a record, right? Yeah, that was definitely the the spite one where I was like, I'm doing this no matter what. I don't care what obstacles are there. Like I'm finishing a record and I'm starting it and I'm doing it now. But the rest of them have all been like very very organic. Like like this one too. Um, there was no plan to it when it started. I just I woke up one day and started writing songs, and a week later. I, I was like, I think this is a record. Like, I think this is a good record. I don't know what it's good. If it's a single mother's record yet. Um, but, but I've got these songs and there was no planning towards it. It was very much like when I start writing a song, I have zero plan usually. And it is very much like opening up a can of paint and seeing what emotions I have inside or like just what comes out because I don't know. And it's a lot of chain reactions, like building a drum beat, then building a bass line, like, and then when I write lyrics, especially like for this record, I didn't write any lyrics. I just kind of sang into the mic as I was writing these songs and whatever kind of came out, I would jot down later. I would go back and reassess and be like, do I, I like these parts? Um, I like this idea, like, and James Gandolfini, even like very organic. I was just kind of humming away. And first, I don't know why I started singing James Gandolfini, but my girlfriend started laughing from the other room and I was like, okay, that's what this song is going to be about. And then... That song, I mean, it's a funny song. It's more of a, I was trying to do like a critique on modern masculinity um, with a bit of tongue in cheek. Uh, I was trying to make it funny, but um, mm. that's kind of the process. And then when it really depends who's around, um, whoever I'm kind of, whoever's in my circle at that time. And I started sending the songs around to Danny Kidd and, and Peter Landy, who have been in, in and out of the band uh, for the last few years. And they, you know, came in and we recorded very fast and and they did their thing on it which completely changed the songs and it made it a band uh it made it a single mother's record which which then we were like okay this is a single mother's record this is mm -hmm. this is good and do you think that would have like would the sound of the album tr change drastically if you had different players on that because i mean like uh the early stuff that you guys did was just so like ruthless punk hardcore stuff because I think who's your guitarist like the guy from like I want it was not uh, career suicide right I keep thinking it's career suicide it's somebody else oh no yeah for like through a wall Ian Ian Romano who I wrote that record with he plays in career suicide mm -hmm. yeah so yeah like it's a lot of like hard hitting um sort of like hardcore punk sounds yeah. <laughs> but this one has like more of like i don't know indie rocker or like you know like it's not, it definitely isn't harder is it is that a product of like uh just who's on the particular records do you do you give people free reign to like 
do what they want or do you say like no play play like this sounding like this it's definitely a mix like when i wrote this record i was listening to a lot of early 2000s indie pop like i was listening to like just playlists of you know beirut and like some strokes and like early to mid 2000s when i was in college like college rock um and i remember sending peter a message saying like you know we should start a band that's just like straight up kind of 2000s indie um sleaze kind of stuff i was listening to a lot of lcd sound system and then i kind of got back into like new wave punk i was listening to a lot of like talking heads and b52s and um so that was in my head when i started writing these songs um and i think we kind of stayed true to that in, in a way and i sent the demos to the guys and then when, when we got in the studio we recorded the thing in two and a half days so there wasn't a lot of back and forth there was no time to do back and forth mm-hmm. we recorded 10 songs and i have learn to try and be open as open as they can be to ideas. And we would just pass the guitar around. And if I liked something, I just say, stop, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. let's just track that and, and keep going. But a lot of the guitars and a lot of the songs were pretty fleshed out at that point where like, there are some tracks on the record that are actually just my demo guitar tracks from garage band flown in to the session. Cause there was just no time. There was no real time. Mm-hmm. So it was like, do you want to re-record these guitar parts? And I said, I'd say like, is this, are they in the same BPM? If they are, I'm just going to fly these over to you and we can just put them in real quick. Cause I didn't have a plan for the right. I didn't know if it was going to come out uh, on dine alone or if I, I, at the time I thought I was just going to release it myself. So I didn't have, there was zero pressure. There was zero expectation. I just, I felt like I needed to record or I was going to explode. Like I just right. needed to get it done. Um, and then when it was done, that feeling went away (laughs) and and see like again this is like what i mean by you just like having a completely different approach to your art than most other bands that i know because like i feel like you are not precious with the stuff that you make wherein uh i don't know like obviously like you know i talked a lot of bands when they're promoting a record and i feel like a lot of bands are on the same kind of like track this sort of like indie rock track of creation and touring and promotion And you seem like, if not the opposite of that, certainly like on the outside of that track. Uh, and like, I, I think I think that's why I like Sad Dumb Games so much, because like, unless I'm reading that song wrong, it does seem like uh, kind of like kind of a call out to the bands that do get sedentary and boring. Like there's this line that I just keep thinking of that is truly it's so subtle, but it's like one of the most cutting indie rock diss track like lines i've ever heard i i see them give themselves a little pep talk right before they take the stage and to me like i don't know like something i've always loved about single mothers is you do seem subtly or aggressively to have this like little chip on your shoulder and i appreciate that um but it just seems like you're doing something that's just that would make other bands really uncomfortable because you do things on the fly you do things like uh improvisationally so i don't know like is that just the the single mother's approach Uh, yeah it's oh my god it's always been the approach yeah like even for as far back as the first self-titled ep i mean they recorded the songs i was supposed to be in the studio with them recording but i went out and got drunk with people like the night before and didn't show up to the studio didn't have any lyrics written for the songs and they just like picked me up and that seven inch like christian girls winter coats like hell's my backup plan like those songs all those lyrics all those vocals like they were all written right on the spot like while we were recording them so i think that's definitely been the blueprint of of the band kind of since then i was like all right, I that, can just do this one. I don't have to worry about so it. so insane to me. We'll like, I've that. heard that that Pat Kindlin from Drug Church does that too, just sort of like yeah, writes in the studio. As someone who is like, as just like a writer whose words need to go through like several rounds of edits and making sure all of them <laughs> yeah. are perfect before they're on paper forever. Right, yeah. Is, like writing in the studio gives me such anxiety i can't like just, if somebody right. was like write this fucking short story on the fly and then you have to read it in an hour it gives me such anxiety and like first of all also too it's it's amazing because like this the self 
self-titled EP that you're talking about has some of my favorite lyrics on it, on, on, on of yours of all time. Uh, and so it's just amazing that that one came out on the fly. And then two, like that you still sing those, like now when you go back and sing those songs, is it like, do you have any feeling of like, oh, I wish I could have spent more time with this or like, or it, it just is what it is. Um, I mean, so not first off, not really. I don't have that feeling too much because that those songs, all of these songs to me are just little snippets of my life, little snippets in time. And like, I can remember vividly like so for christian girls for instance like i did have some lyrics written for that song and beforehand and i went into the studio and started singing them and everybody was just like no like that's not very that's not very good and so they made they were just like scrap those just do something else and mm -hmm. so like i think i had a few words on a piece of paper that I like flipped through and I saw, and sometimes that's all it takes to get inspiration enough, like to get a vibe. All I ever want is a vibe. I need a feeling. And then you can kind of go off on it. And so I don't feel like I want to change much in, in my discography other than like, you know, maybe change out a, a word here or there that would have made more sense. Or like, maybe I meant to say this, but I said this and, mm. and I didn't want to annoy the engineer or something, but, um, no, I think for the most part, I, I like it. And I mean, I'm the kind of like, I'm the opposite of you, where I think I just get worse the more I try at something. <laughs> so if I sit there and try and write a song forever, I'll usually go back to my very first edit and go, I fuck it, I had it the first time. Like, why mm -hmm. am I, why am I trying to get in my head about it? Because I get, I'll get anxious and I'll start overthinking things. And um, it doesn't work for every song. It doesn't work for every record, but like, it works for me and it definitely doesn't work for everyone. Like I know Patrick does this and I know a couple other um, lyricists that kind of write the way that we write, but I don't know a lot. And for me, it just makes for me, like what other people do doesn't wouldn't work like mm. to stress over line, over line, over line, because it just kind of comes quickly with me. And I don't have the attention span to sit there and over edit. If I think I've got, what I want. Um, well, do you, maybe this is an attempt to like get on your level or justify this process, which just seems maddening to me. Um, <laughs> I do, I do think though, that like sometimes the things that I've, I have written that came out very naturally, like you said, sort of like a first take type of uh, mm -hmm. vibe to it. Uh, when they do come out, I do feel like it wasn't like starting from square one. I feel like, oh, this was something that was like rattling around in my head subconsciously for like a few days or weeks or months or whatever. And then when I had a pen and paper, it actually came out like that was something that was just for like, sure. it was just baking up there. And then, you know, I pulled the yeah. oven door open and it was ready. It was ready to come out. So like, is that how yeah. like, are you thinking about songs like in the back of your head a lot or? Um, I think all the time. I think like, it's just, it's um, what I've always been doing. Like, you're just always kind of open to things. I've, I, I hear people, I hear other songwriters talk about it and it always sounds really corny that there's just, there's just ideas up there and mm -hmm. you're just kind of, you're not really coming up with them. You're just grabbing them out of the air. Like you're in that kind of zone and just grabbing at what's around. And that's really what it feels like, um, especially the way that I do it, where it's, I'm not writing, I'm like yelling in a punk band. Sometimes I just open my mouth and I'm, I'm just, I don't, I'm surprised at what I say. Like <laughs> with, I remember specifically recording the song Money off of Negative Qualities. I had some lyrics written that we, during the studio while we were recording it and writing it. Um, and I got in there and I was singing them and like the band liked it, but the producer didn't. And he was like, this just isn't, this just isn't good. Like you got to try something else. Can you just, you know, chug this beer. I'm going to take your notebook away and just try something. And all of the lyrics for money came from that one take like mm. of, and not only the lyrics, but the delivery and everything completely changed. Cause I'm, I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just coming up with ideas in the moment and like by the end of it he was like that's it like that's that's the song there and we listened back and I, even i was like i don't know where the fucking idea came from. i don't know where mm -hmm. any of these words mm -hmm. came from they just kind of channel through 
through you when you open up and you actually have to talk. And that's where I think I get a lot of my lyrics from isn't, I can't sit there or I can, but I don't like to sit there and write. Um, I like to write as I'm like playing a guitar or as I'm walking, or I have to be doing something to kind of like take up all the noise that's in my head. So I can just let this kind of like other version of me do what it, what it does. Mm. And yeah, that's kind of it. Speaking of, of negative qualities, uh, another thing that I find so interesting about single mothers is that I think that your perspective on the band is probably wildly different than your fans' perspective on the band. Because you seem to be a guy who, and this is I say this with complete admiration, makes <laughs> what you want to make because... You know, you made that first EP and 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 negative qualities as your your earliest material, and it had this like really vicious punk sound. I I would count negative qualities as like one of the best punk records of the last ten or whatever years. Well, uh, people you. really loved it, and then like ever since, you've just been like completely guiding away from that sound. <laughs> And I just, I really admire yeah. that you are just so intent on like not giving people what they want. You are intent <laughs> on giving people what you want. Right. Uh, and like, I don't know, again, like going back to what I was saying, I feel like a lot of bands are on a track where they get into a groove and they find what people like about their band yeah. and they kind of keep doing that. You are just like, I am, you're a disruptor. You will just like not <laughs> settle into any does that is that how intentional is that or is that just the product of how you make stuff i mean it's pretty intentional i mean i'd be silly to think that i didn't know like negative qualities is the majority of people that like this band that's kind of what they the majority of them like that record the most like mm -hmm. um and I, I i like negative qualities i love playing those songs live um but i don't want to be pigeonholed and i don't I feel like whenever there's an expectation to do something, I just have this inner, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like an, it's an inner push to just go, no, like I don't, mm. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not like, um, and I also don't, Oh, sorry. Keep going. Oh no. I was going to ask like, does that, is that like, you know, for being honest, because I feel like I have some of this sometimes too. Do you feel like, <laughs> are you like success averse? Like, are you at all worried about, uh, I don't know, gaining momentum? Or is it just something like you just don't like being told how to make a thing? I've, I've, first off, I'm not scared of failing. I've realized that about myself. Like I, I'm not, I, I truly don't. I mean, I, I've thought about this a lot. I want people, I would like it if people like, what I do. I, I'm an artist. I like making art and I would like it if people liked it, but that's not my priority. Um, when I write these songs, like I don't really know how to explain it other than something comes over me and I feel like I need to do it. I need to write these songs. I need to record them and I will, I'm going to do it no matter what mm -hmm. I do it. If I didn't have a band, it just feels like an impending doom is, is going to set over me if I don't get these out and um, I don't know if I'm success adverse, but I don't, it's not my priority. I don't really care. Um, and it's, it's not that I don't want people to like it. I don't care if they don't like it. And um, I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I feel like I've got friends around me that are happy to like be a part of it. And that's, that's really great. I mean, I've definitely made some decisions that, yeah, I think like my career could be, <laughs> I think I've made some decisions that haven't been great for my career for sure. Um, but I, I'm in a, I'm in a punk band and that's yeah. what I always told myself. I don't give a, why I'm not supposed to care about my career. I don't give a fuck about my career. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause when I look at you, I, it's, it, it's not like self-sabotage to me. It's more like, cause there right. are people like that that are like self-sabotaging but with with you to me it reads more as like just there's like a, a set of rules or like a game that you're just right unwilling there. to play <laughs> you're like you're just like i'd rather do this my way than do it yeah the way that will help me you know 
Yeah, I think that is like a, just the way I've always been. Um, I used to drive when I like when we started the band. I think the biggest complaint the other members had were I either this is what they said to me that always kind of stuck with me. They were like, "Man, you either care, you either don't care at all, or you care way too much, and it's mm. always about the wrong stuff." And I and I would like <laughs> dig, I would dig my heels in on the things that I really cared about, and I just wouldn't care about anything else. But the things that I cared about, you know, I was adamant um and i think my priorities for single mothers is just i like writing songs and i do it the way that i do it um the band has put out five records at this point at mm -hmm. all at varying degrees of success um all with different members all sounding different so i don't feel an allegiance to any specific genre at this point um and i mean i Negative Qualities is a record that I love, but like, I love so many different genres of music that I don't want to be stuck pigeonholed into one thing. I just write songs, and that's kind of how it, how it goes. And yeah, the pieces will fall as they as they may. And like, who knows if we might do another Negative Qualities record uh, when we're super broke? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, something else that I was thinking about since bringing up my rival podcaster, Jeremy, is that unless mm -hmm. I have this wrong, I, I feel like he told me that uh, when he kind of uh, found you guys early on, he wanted to put out a seven inch and he contacted you. But I think he said something like uh, Drew's response was like, well, we kind of are not a band anymore, but if you want us to put out a record, I guess we'll be a band still. Like is that sort of <laughs> is that sort of how that that went down? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like I was, I had given up on the band at this point. Um, I'd been working in real estate. I had quit that job. I had started single mothers, and I'd put all my money into the band and like my drinking habit um, to the point where like my hydro had been cut off, and I, I had to do something. So I went up north. I was gold prospecting, and. I told the guys, like, if you want to keep going with the band, you should. Like, you can have the lyrics, get a new singer, like, do your thing. But I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I'm 10 hours away. Um, and they were all pretty mad at me. And they said, yeah, we're going to keep going. And then they played, like, three shows without me. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then called the band and we're like, the band's done. Um, but then when Jeremy hit us up, you know, I was up north. And, uh, and yeah, I think that was kind of the vibe was like, the, you know, we had we had already broken up the band at that point, but if he wanted to put it out, he could. And then he did, and we got back together. So it was great. It was like wonderful. I owe a lot of uh, of the way like my life has has um, has gone to Jeremy. And then this so, record too, you felt like could have potentially been your last record too. Yeah, I was pretty sure this would be. I was pretty sure everything you need would be the last record, and then. I was pretty sure this would be the last record. It feels like you're so, potentially always trying to get out of this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, honestly, I think I have been from the beginning. Like it's, it's I've had a very love hate relationship with the band. And um, it's funny to think now, because I think we're at like our, I think I've been in the band for like 15 years. I'm pretty sure I started it in 2008. And, um, I've probably liked being in it for like two years, <laughs> two out of the eight years. Uh -huh. um, but when do you think single yeah. mothers is like at its best or like doing what you want it to do? Like what describe those two years, I guess, like what's the, what's the height of single mothers to you? I mean, I think what I love, I love being a support band on tour. I like touring. I like playing live. I think that's where the band is strongest is in a live setting and um i think we're the strongest like on a on a three band bill in the middle mm -hmm. um and i think musically i mean we've gone through so many different variations musically of of the band it was definitely in the earlier days when we didn't have a plan there was no attention there was no pressure there was nothing i think those days were probably the most honest where we were just writing songs for our friends and um for each for each other 
uh, up until recently where, you know, with, with Roy and everything you need, I just really stopped giving a shit about like what people considered the band to be or what it looked like. And I don't want to alienate anyone. I definitely don't want somebody to feel like that likes the band that I'm trying to push them out from liking it. That's not it. Um, I would like it if people liked the changes that went on, but if they don't like it, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not in charge of how somebody's tapes are. I, you know, I have to write my own, I have to write my songs that I like. Um, but I think throughout the band, the, the best years have probably been the last couple because we've all been sober. Everybody's been happy. It's been like a pleasant time. And like, I love negative qualities, but, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go back into the mindset I was when I, when that record was recorded. Cause like I was just a miserable, depressed person. I was like, very depressed and I didn't realize I was that depressed until I got out of it. But looking mm. back, I'm just like, that's, that's a miserable time in my life. So is that hard um, to play those songs back? Does that feel like reliving nope. it or no, no, not at all. I think that's mm. silly. Mm. Um, I love those. I love overdose and like, there's some good memories tied to it. And if anything, it makes me happy to realize like how far uh, I am away from that, that guy. Mm. But no, the ones that we play live are the ones that I like. Mm-hmm. And the ones that we don't play live are the ones that like, not really interested in, in being that guy and saying those things and whatever anymore. Well, speaking of uh, your past lives, one thing that you touched on that I just wanted to go back to, and I know you've talked about this before. I don't know if you've talked about it on Jeremy's podcast, <laughs> but um, you were not, I don't know if this is just so foreign to me because I'm not Canadian, but uh, maybe you could explain this because you were gold mining and not only gold mining, but if I'm not mistaken, gold mining in a town called Swastika, Ontario. Right. Yeah. Which Not gold mining. I was like prospecting. prospecting. Right. Gold prospecting in Swastika, Ontario sounds like a fucking hold steady <laughs> lyric. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? I met a gold miner in Swastika, yeah. Ontario. Sorry, not gold mining, gold prospecting. What right. the, what the fuck is this? This is so I'm I'm sitting in California looking at at like just hills right now. So this is completely nice. foreign to me. Oh, even though like actually now that I'm thinking about it, this is where the gold rush of 1949 is, was. Yeah. So I should have a better understanding, but in 2023, this is very foreign. What the fuck is does this entail? Gold prospecting. So there's different types of prospectors. There's like the prospectors that go out into um like a river bed and like they shake um they shake the uh, fuck. I forget what it's called now, but try and get the the gold shards out of the water. That's not what I would do. I would. That, that's um, got big, uh, like uh, overalls vibe. Oh like yeah. The uh, like the the pajamas that have the butt flap. Like that's the guy I picture doing that. Tom Waits in that uh, Buster Scruggs movie. Exactly. Uh, him. Yep. Yeah. But that that's was not so, you. No. So you that is like if you're going, you need to be in like mountainous areas or like somewhere with you know free flowing water because the water if there's a gold vein the flow of the water like breaks those little gold pieces off but where we are it's it's in northern ontario all the gold is well most of the gold is all um, in the bedrock so what i would do is go into the bush and um state claims basically so i'd go in with an axe and a compass and like some coordinates and a gps usually and i would try and find these old claim posts that other prospectors in the past had put up and then i would find those you know make a new post put a government tag on it and like flag um around uh these 400 meter by 400 meter blocks of land which then as a prospector with a prospector's license i had now claimed that as like as my chunk of of land so if there is gold on it i can like go and you know potentially look but we didn't, we weren't developers, we were prospectors. So a lot of it is speculation. Um, this was after 2008, after the uh, financial crisis where gold was pretty high. Um, and so the hustle was really uh, taking these claims and then flipping them to the gold mines that were already in production because they say they found gold somewhere around your claim. If they had to go through your claim to get more gold or whatever. It was such a headache. They would have to buy you out for millions and millions. 
So the trick was to just try and flip it to them sooner than that and mm. uh, and do it like it was it's a real so estate that, hustle. That's more okay. So that that part's more uh, lucrative than just actually finding the gold. It's the land is is well, yeah, it costs so much to drill up there mm. um, and everything else like, you know, yeah, it costs it costs a lot to get uh, to get going as a producer. But as a as a prospector, I was mostly staking claims um, for my uncle, and then he would either, you know, he would try and flip them or, or whatever. Um, this sounds yeah, it's, so it's fucking naive, but how is there still fucking gold out there? <laughs> like, I know we right? not got it all. Like, yeah. it's been so fucking long. Gold it's has so been crazy. valuable forever. Like, how have we not found every piece of gold in the fucking planet? I know. Crazy. It's really wild. It's really, really wild. And what's funny about like, what we were doing is it's a lot of the value is based on speculation. Mm. So the worst thing you could do is go stake a bunch of claims, you know, and then hire some drilling company to take a sample. Because if you didn't find anything, you just confirmed that there was nothing there. But if you never touched it, there's nope. a chance that gold is there. It's like and a so, Schrodinger's cat. It is exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's two, it's both valuable and not valuable. At yeah. The same yeah. Time. Yeah. So really you wanted to do as little work as possible. Um, and that was often the most valuable because there is not much gold. Um, Buddy, and this there's a lot like of land. Not doing much work for, that sounds like my kind of gig. <laughs> but this is, this is kind of how crazy it was. Like John, my uncle, he knew guys that would go up there. I think this was in the 80s. And they would fill shotgun shells full of gold dust. And they would claim, they would stake a claim. Um they would find some bedrock or whatever uh, or an outcrop and they would load the shotgun shell full of gold dust and shoot the gold into the rock and then send that rock to get assayed. The professional assayers would say, yeah, there's gold here. And then they would mm. take that report to these big gold mines and they would sell it for millions you know, wow. of dollars. And they would say with just a fake rock, you know, just a fake rock pumped full of gold from a shotgun shell. What and then, you know, they would do, Eventually, maybe they, they would do more work and they would realize that they got scammed. And I'm pretty sure those guys ended up in jail, but they probably had a good five years, you know. <laughs> what a scam. I feel like I yeah. would try to do that and I would just leave like a watch out there and be like, <laughs> yeah. look, there is gold. And people are like, no, that mm. isn't clearly a Casio gold watch. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, no, no, it is in nature. That, yeah, that there you go. This is a gift. Came from. Uh, the universe is just a magical place and sometimes it makes watches and rings. So, right. Anyways, you want to right. buy my plot or what? Yeah. Yeah. What, buy it that, now. I always, Cash. whenever that comes up in your, in your bio, it feels so funny to me because it's so alien. I feel like the closest yeah. thing we have here in LA is like flipping vintage band t-shirts, right. you know, just discovering right. Slip it's probably more profitable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy well, how much those those like go for out here. You know, that's a business for sure. That's crazy. That is wild. I mean, yeah, the vintage clothing market's gone gone absolutely nuts, and it must be. I mean, L.A. That's where all the that's where all the fashion is, right? That's yeah, where you are. You can flip a fucking nine inch nail shirt for like four hundred bucks here. Get out of here! Yeah. Speaking of, I, this is such a good segue to something I did want to weirdly talk about, uh, yeah. because every time I go to the vintage market, I do keep an eye out for what I think is maybe my favorite alt-rock band of the 90s, and I know yours too, is oh, Everclear. Hell yeah. You are like one of the, like, when 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 I find out that a friend loves Everclear like I do, it just endears yeah. me to them so much more, because I, I feel like, you know... Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, yep. like these are these are the bands that get like lionized in hindsight. Yep. I want Justice Forever Clear. Those first two records are great. However, oh I do think that their merch just across the board sucks. Like every oh, yeah. shirt I've seen is like such 90s you know imagery, which I understand is coming back now. But for me, yeah. it's it's not for me. I don't want a green shirt with a fucking happy face in the middle and Everclear in like Comic Sans. I don't fucking <laughs> want that. I want a shirt that right. goes hard. That's why I, I'll pay more for the Nine Inch Nail shirt. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but Everclear, 
a big, big influence on me growing up. And like, we recently realized that we share that. You also were like, you said uh, Sparkle and Fade was like a big influential record for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Spark- I mean, I found the band, you know, I was in grade six or seven, I guess, probably um, with so much for the Afterglow. And that was like my first taste of Everclear. And then I got into the back catalog and like Sparkle and the Fade. The back catalog and... being the one other record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, I think, did they have one record before Sparkle and Fade that was even harder? Um, oh, did they? Geez, I really I admittedly they... just know those two records. Right. Well, those were the ones that like, and I'm not kidding when I say this, like I, I was obs- obsessed, obsessed. That that was my first obsession as like um, a kid getting into music was was Everclear mm-hmm. to the point you know I listened to it I listened to that CD so much my mom I begged my mom to call my teacher my mom's also a teacher so teachers were nice to her and and let them listen let me listen to it in class because like I just couldn't <laughs> get the songs that I had I needed to listen to it I'm like in grade wow. six yeah 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 and uh, and they did they were like all right like. <laughs> Drew ha- Drew has go. a note from his doctor that says he's allowed to listen <laughs> yeah. to Everclear. In yeah, math class. There's a yeah. There's definitely a touch of something in my in my family tree. But like I I obsess over certain things, and like that was that was one of my first obsessions. I listened to that CD so much, and Sparkle and Fade, and like they're a huge huge influence, and still are. Like, I mean, I basically started the Drew Thompson Foundation as like my, my version of my what would be my Everclear like mm-hmm. just because I love I love well, what's what about it so spoke much. to you so much that you had to like listen to it in class I <laughs> I mean there's there's a lot like I I first off I just loved the the songs I loved the I remember loving the lyrics I loved Art's voice I thought that was really great and at the time I mean what would that have been like 96 97 ish um there was lots of like there was Dookie and and other bands, but I didn't, I don't know, I didn't connect with any of them. And like, I was a kid, you know, I, I was estranged from my dad. I didn't know my dad really. Like, I didn't have any relationship with him at that age. And they had that song, like, Father of Mine was a really good song. And um, I think it was just a mix of things, really, that that drew me in. And I really, I remember thinking like this, this even at that age, like, oh these are good songs like these are good lyrics like these aren't just normal run-of-the-mill songs these are actually meant something for me for some reason Mm. and um i would videotape like if their music videos came on i'd run to the vcr and like record them so i had like a vhs of everclear music videos that i would watch and like i was kind of a loner kid and i i don't know i just like that band a lot i still do i still love that album i i do too and uh you know, I, it is interesting to think of a young kid connecting with the lyrics. Cause like, it feels like art has three, three modes of songwriting. Number one, estranged from my dad. That's relatable yeah. to a kid. Sure. I get that. Number two, like I'm in an interracial relationship and fuck you. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's like two. Fade, yeah. And then three is uh heroin. Just yeah. general thoughts on that. So yeah. it is funny to think of a kid getting connected to it, but I, I get it. And, yeah, and you know, like in looking doing. back just sonically, I think it's a really good entry point because it's not, they're not like a, a, like when I try to categorize them, they're not like a punk band, but they're like a fast rock band, like a right. really fast rock band. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched their, their videos, uh, like live videos from back in the day, but they were so fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is very sad because um, my uh, my friend Alex went to go see them recently at Pappy and Harriet's here in the desert. Okay, and uh, I didn't go because I didn't know about it, but I watched yeah. the videos. And uh, you know, listen, no disrespect to art. I know it's hard yeah. to keep playing rock music into your fifties and probably sixties at this point. Yeah. Uh, but he has slowed down quite considerably. You can't. You can't play at that pace forever, I think. Um, yeah. But fuck, those those first records still have, like, they still, they're just so fast when I listen back to them. I agree. And I think there's something about Everclear that I, that I just hearing you talk about that made me realize is like, it, it was poppy enough to be accessible, but fast enough 
to seem cool. Like yeah. it was something that I liked and that I still felt like, you know, was kind of, kind of punky, but I remember in the, around that same time, this is going to sound so lame, but like I saw a rancid music video, I think maybe for time bomb or something. And I hated it. I Whoa, hated rancid. Really? I was like, this sucks. Like that's I, so funny. I can't I remember. You, like, yeah, go ahead. Oh no! I just remember thinking, like, if these idiots can do this, like, I could, I <laughs> should just start a band. Like, this is again. Awful. This is what I mean by you just being like the opposite of everybody that I've interviewed. Because like, there's a lot of people in you know in sellout. It's it's yeah. in the book where they were like, I would be like, what? How did you get into this? And they'd be like, Well, I remember seeing fucking like Rancid on TV, and I was like, Oh my right. god, holy shit, that looks alien! And what the fuck is that? And I love that you see it, and you're like, No, <laughs> this yeah. is clown stuff to me. Yeah, I mean, I did come to like Rancid later, but like at that age when you're like, you know, you're just hitting puberty and you're getting to be, I need a hook. I love Whoa, a good hook. That's so like, funny. And Everclear had big hooks and like catchy songs and like you could understand what he was saying and lyrics i guess that's maybe where when lyrics started really becoming important to me um and then yeah i just i have a very clear memory of seeing ranson around that time going like the fuck is this <laughs> who the fuck are these guys this is garbage <laughs> so yeah. funny why do you think it is then that they like because i feel like there's like two kinds of 90s rock nostalgia that we have room for in our culture there's like revered nirvana smashing pumpkins whole pearl jam right and then there's like sort of like bands that we dump into the bucket of like one hit wonders or like oh isn't that dated you know the the fucking uh better than ezra's of the world or whatever <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to them, you know, of course. Yeah. But uh, I don't know how Everqueer got dumped into the ladder, you know? Like, well, why is their cultural impact so negligible? I Honestly, I think it's because of, like, the direction they went after those records. Like, Volvo driving Soccer Mom. I mean, they lost me after after so much for the Afterglow. Like, I love, love, love that record. But I, I haven't really listened to much after that. I thought... yeah. I kind of felt betrayed with how how like Volvo driving soccer bomb was an Everclear song. I just okay. thought it was so lame. So you know what I'm gonna say to you now, right? <laughs> what <laughs> you made what is again what I would qualify as one of the hardest <laughs> going rock records, and then you were just like, I'm gonna give people the opposite of that because fuck right. that. So do you not yeah. have an appreciation for Everclear zigging when everybody wants them to, to zag? Here's here's the difference. I think they did it to sell out because it was just a huge <laughs> change. And uh -huh. I was never expecting to get anywhere farther with Our Pleasure. It's just mm -hmm. the way that those songs kind of came out. And <laughs> so that's the difference. And I mean, I do like Our Pleasure. But to, to be honest, when we were writing it, to me, because, you know, I didn't have a lot to do with the, the music Um of that record, I was like, I'm doing the same thing. I'm writing the same songs as I wrote lyrically on negative qualities in my head. So I was like, this to me isn't that big of a difference. Mm. And I was I was surprised how different it came across to everybody else. Because um, to to me, I'm still just doing what I was doing before with um with our pleasure. But it is funny. But with Everclear and same with like Enema of the State, I had the same thing where I love. I love Dude Ranch when it came out and then Enema of the State came out, which I also really liked, but that's where all the kids that, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really friends with started picking up on the band and same with Green Day too. After I remember feeling so betrayed when I think it was American Idiot came out mm. and Billy Joel started wearing like eyeliner, wearing ties and like, I, I was like heartbroken. I had a dream that Billy Joel was my stepdad and like scolding me in his like American idiot outfit <laughs> about how things have to change in life. And like, I just felt so, so awful about all of that. But I guess I've done it myself. Yeah. By the way, for, for people listening who uh, were concerned, you're right. There was a 93 Everclear debut record, World of Noise which right. I admit right now to being woefully unaware of. So I am going to go listen back to that as soon as I'm done talking to you here. 
it's pretty hard. I'm pretty sure it's pretty hard. Yeah. It goes pretty hard. Yeah. I'm into it. All right. Um, well, oh, I did have one more thing that I had to fucking uh, take you to task for. Sure. You have ruined my uh, YouTube recommendations uh, because I feel like, especially during the <laughs> pandemic, when I was just missing live music, I would type in, go to YouTube.com and I would type in single mothers, single mothers oh, live, no. single mothers music, yeah. whatever. And uh, I did not realize how much how many like uh men's rights type guys oh, are on no. youtube just being like guys here's five reasons why you should never date single mothers number one <laughs> they're never gonna give you enough attention you're always gonna be number two to this little fucking kid number three you know and i'm like wow these are uh first of all the fucking uh the the dregs of of male yeah. you know culture uh, but I'm like, yeah. And so then after that, it just kept being like, hey, uh, do you want to watch this uh, jo- uh, Jordan Peterson video? And oh, I'm like, no. No, I don't at all. But it was like, but you search for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, no, no, I don't. I don't want that. Uh, oh, so I'm still I'm still trying to correct my my YouTube. Um, well, I hope it works. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that's rough. I mean. Yeah, it's weird. It's, the name is like the one thing that I was like, oh, you know what? If I knew people wouldn't always take it the way. Because at the time, I was raised by a single mom. Every All the original members in the band, we all came from single parent households, single moms. Mm. We were all raised by single moms. But um, that was kind of like the impetus for the name. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny when you type it into a search engine. What yeah, comes up. it is funny out of context now that I'm thinking about it. Because now that I am thinking about it, I have a shirt that has like single mothers in big block letters across. And to somebody who has no fucking idea what about the band or whatever, now that I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. about it, that must be why that must be one of the reasons why people give me weird looks when I'm out in public. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, well, fucking a, uh, Drew, I'm so glad we did this. Roy, Roy is the album folks. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, and I will, uh, and you're leaving for tour, and I will probably catch you on that, and everybody should catch you on that. Right. Oh, I was going to say, I think the Long Beach show, was that the one that you were going to come to? Is that the one that's uh, close to you? Yes, I think so. It's it's canceled. Oh, what? what? Where, the, yeah. where do I got to go? I don't know. I don't know that's... that state, where everything is. Okay, I'm going to look into this. Um. Okay, well, then check the dates before you go out there. But okay, right. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, to the listeners, that is. But Drew, yeah. thanks so much, buddy, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's, it's and, always and can a pleasure. You, can you just obviously just say fuck Jeremy's podcast into the microphone? Right? I, they're both great interviewers. Renounce great Jeremy right the second. <laughs> Boy, you really like, uh, you really hit the Glendale uh, medium market today, huh? Right. Yeah. Are you guys really neighbors? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he. If I stood on my roof, I bet I could see to his house. He's like right. across the road. Yeah, just throw an egg over. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna let him nail it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, thanks for talking. All right. Thank you.